and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. There was a time when, by law, nearly everything was closed on Sunday. While religious in origin, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld these laws on the secular basis that rest is good and vital. Founding pastor Randy Pope continues the series The Ten Commandments with this sermon entitled The Gift of the Sabbath Law, which covers Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 to chapter 24, verse 8. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. I'm going to invite you, if you can, to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. It's out of the book of Exodus, chapter 8, verses 8 through 11, and you'll see that on the screen. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you your son, your daughter, your male, your female servant, your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. I'm going to now, instead of having you read a prayer of illumination, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and allow me to pray that prayer for us. Let's pray. Our Father, we're a people that come into this great commandment and we're confused. We've been hearing things for years, assuming things. And our minds have not been illumined well in certain respects. And as a result, our hearts are closed off to beautiful things you have for us. Would you illumine our minds? Would you illumine our hearts? Would you do something special in and among us today so that we might enjoy the incredible blessing of this gift you've given to us? Lord, we give you thanks. And we pray in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right, have your seats. So it was uh, this last year when the preaching calendar was being formed that Jeff came to me and he said, I want you to preach on this particular date. We're doing a series, as you know, through Exodus every year, taking a little chunk, a little chunk, a little chunk. We're getting to the end now, and we're in chapter 20 as part of this uh, series, and would like for you to preach, and would like for you to preach on the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. And I said, Jeff, have you forgotten? I preached on that about two years ago. He says, no, I've not forgotten. Preach it again. Do I need to change it? No, preach the same sermon again. Well, I I didn't listen to him fully because I've changed a little bit of it, but much of it is the same, of course. It's the teaching on the Lord's Day. And so uh, with that, uh, I, I want to kind of give you an understanding of the Sabbath, but not just so you understand it so that you gain something very, very important. I told this story years ago. It was the story of, in fact, when I say years ago, I I told it about 40 years ago probably. You all remember it, I'm sure. (laughs) But 
It's the story of my grandmother who had just passed away when I shared it. My grandmother had lived much longer than her husband. My grandfather, they were a well-to-do family. She was in the hospital dying and not expected to live but a few days. And I was uh, given the word if I wanted to see her again, I'd need to go visit with her now. And so I made my trip to the city she lived in and, uh, and sat with her. At that moment, knowing that her death was imminent, she handed me a box, a present. She said, this is a gift that I want to give to you. And all I can say is I want you to wait till I have gone on to be with the Lord before you ever open it. But what's in that box should take care of you financially for the rest of your life, your assumed family to come and so forth. And I'm honored to leave this with you. She passed away. I can't explain exactly. I can't give you a good reason. But to this day, that box still sits there. I've never opened it. Never opened it. Probably never will. Now, were this a true story, <laughs> now I know what you were thinking. They were words formed in your brain, not to be said, but they were words like stupid, crazy, idiot. What, I mean, you're looking at me like, are you totally off your rocker? You would have that and never, why would you not do that? Let me tell you, this fourth commandment, as all of the Ten Commandments, are one of the greatest gifts that you and I have ever been given. And they're given to us by God himself. And he says, open it. Don't just let it sit there. Don't say, oh, I know that the seventh day is the Sabbath, da, 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 and you're supposed to da, da. No, open it. Get to use it. Make it an advantage to your life and to your family's life. And to, it's just too good a gift to sit there and say, I believe the gift. I believe the gift. It's there. I know it's there. It's a good gift. We want to open the thing, and what I want to do is just simply try to help you open the gift. And you've got to understand its value to make you desirous enough to plow into it and to open that gift. I'm going to do it uh, differently than I've done in the past. I'm going to ask, answer five questions. It's the best way I can get it. I won't get into the text itself till into the second or third, but... but uh, these questions are questions that are answered in the Word of God. We understand these things about the Lord's Day that we have got to understand. So now I'm going to put the outline up quickly here. It's the long, longest outline I've probably ever had. It's too long to be a, a good communicator's outline. But I want you to at least be able to see it. But you can get it. You can go online at, perimeter, at your Perimeter app if you have that. Many of our members do. Anybody can have it. Perimeter.org slash points. You can go there and just look it up. Perimeter.org slash points. And also, if you want more, because I can tell you from the first service, I will not get through the five points. So if you would like to understand that a little bit better, we have a book that's just recently come out not too long ago called A Remedy for a Disordered Life. I didn't even know it was being written. Because I, I gave it as messages and 
Some of our leadership took it and put it into a little booklet and so forth. And I want you to know, I don't make a dime on it as I, as I tell you about this, but you can get this at perimeter.org slash remedy. And we have several hundreds of them in the bookstore if you would like to, to purchase one at that place. You're welcome to do so. Uh, but with that, I'm going to dig into five answers to very important questions. Here they are. Number one, you'll see them on the screen here. Number one, why were the Ten Commandments given? Now, this is going to take me a few minutes to go through this. But there are a lot of Christians, and I'm sure many among us here, and certainly you that are seekers trying to figure out the faith, you would have no idea about this, and this is going to be some incredible news for you to understand. It'll put the Bible and the law in perspective. How many of us, Christians and non-Christians, say the law, oh, the law, thank the goodness, thank you, Lord, for grace, because, oh, that law, it's bad, it's mean. You, I'm glad you replaced it with grace. God didn't replace the laws with grace. He gave the laws to continue to show us the grace that we need, to show us our need constantly, but to come to him to begin with and to live for him forever by grace. So it's very, very important, but it's still very real for us today. These Ten Commandments, you can't say, well, this one was taken out and that one's no longer this way. No one, no, no, no. They're there as they were from the very beginning. Now, let me tell you, to help you understand this, another fictitious story, all right? I will remind you it's fictitious at the end because some people will jump on, hear this, been asleep, you wake up during it right now, and then you hear it and say, oh, my goodness, you'll repeat it, and then I'm in big, big, big trouble, Okay. Imagine that Carol and I, you've, I've used this type of illustration before about another issue, but let's imagine that Carol and I are, are talking marriage. We decide, yes, we definitely both want to get married. Everything seems to be going well. And one night I pulled the surprise of all surprise right prior to us getting married. And I say to her, Carol, I love you very, very much. There's some things, though, that I believe about my marriage to come, our marriage that you need to understand before we get married. And I hope this wouldn't change your desire to get married, but I have to be honest and tell you. There are four things that are, 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 are just very important to me. Number one, after we marry, I want to keep dating other girls. <laughs> well, now she starts to go, <gasps> and I say, no, 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 hold on. Listen to all four. She says, there's more than that? I say, oh, yeah, there's more than that. You see, I also have some girls that I have dated in the past that were wonderful experiences, wonderful relationships, dear, dear people that I don't want to forget. And so I have different pictures of me with those different girls. <laughs> I've got various gifts that have been given to me by those girls, and I would like to prominently, you know, place them in the house in various places to just constantly remind me of the great gift of those dating relationships. Now, she's looking for her, a gun, she's looking for something, you know, and I say, oh, but number three, very, very, very important to me too, and that is, you know, this concept of a ring, I, I don't like it, but I'll do it, but I want you to know, just to be fair with you, I won't wear it all the time. When I'm with certain people at certain places, I'll take it off. Then when I'm in other places, I'll have it on, particularly when I'm with you, I'll have it on. 
And she looks at me like, you can't be for real. He says, one other thing. You know how most couples like to spend a lot of time alone together and all? I want to spend time with you with other people, but I don't want that real personal, intimate time, you know, where we talk deeply, we get to know each other better, and those kind of things that I think are really outdated. I just don't want to do those things, okay? Now, what would her response be? Would it be, well, let me, give, let me have some time to think about this. This is all new to me. Let me think about it. No. She would look at me, and she would say, are you crazy? You think I would even think about marrying you under those conditions? No way. Get out of my life. You don't love me. And I could, I could cry all the way as I go, saying, oh, no, no, I love you, I love you, I love you. No. She knows that's not love. Then we realize that it's the same thing with God. God wants to marry a people that are going to be his covenant bride for all generations. And he says, you know, there's some stipulations to getting into a relationship with me. They're very important. In fact, there are 10 of them. There are 10 of them. And oh, by the way, the first four relate to, you know, our being together, laws that will help us in our love relationship. And the, then there'll be six of them, a, a, a separate tab, tablet that is going to talk about laws related to loving man. And these are all very important. But there's something about those first four. You've got to start with loving God before you can love others in the right way. And so, if you look at the outline that I have here, the, um, I'm going to wait. I'll hold off on the outline. Let me, let me just... Let me scoot on to get to the rest of the text. Let's look at an overview of Exodus 19 through 24. Let's do that first. So you don't have to flip and flip and flip, but just listen to this, and you'll see the big picture, and then we'll zero in on the verses that we have that we read. So first of all, you have an engagement. You see, there was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. and They were the great patriarchs of a people to be formed as a nation at this very time, Goy in the Hebrew, it refers to individuals that are collectively viewed as one person. And for the first time, he comes to these people, and through Moses, he says, I want to marry the people of your family called Israel. I want to marry them. Well, that's news beyond all news. Almighty God wants to marry us among all the peoples. We're as wretched and bad as all other people. He wants to marry us. Unbelievable. And he says, yes, I want to get engaged. Now, a covenant, when I marry any couple, I always say, do you understand this is a covenant between the two of you? It's a promise. And it connects you legally, relationally, in every way. This is a covenant. It's a high and holy moment, so keep that in mind. It is a covenant. Okay. Well, covenants, and the people knew this of Israel, all the covenants they made had stipulations. There had to be stipulations. And so one would tell their, the man would tell his stipulations, the woman would tell her stipulations. Do we agree? Are we together on that? Okay, let's move forward. So this is a big marriage. And so God says to Moses, you know, you need to, you need to bring the people together. This, I, I want to marry them. And the 
response to the engagement request is not, all right, God, we have some stipulations. Watch out for these stipulations if you want to be our God. If you want to come into covenant, no, no, no. All they said was this. They said, no, 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 you're holy God. We're unholy people. Therefore, whatsoever the Lord says, we don't even need to hear the stipulations. He can't make a stipulation that we wouldn't keep or we would seek to keep it. So, oh, whatever the Lord says, that we will do. That's going to be repeated again right after the stipulations are given. Then you see the preparation for the wedding ceremony, uh, chapter 19, 10, and 11. And tells, okay, this is how you need to purify yourself, come together, this is the big wedding, so forth and so on. Then you come to chapter 20, and here are the stipulations for the marriage given in chapter 20, 1 through 7. I'll just go through the first four with you. The others are in your outline. But laws related to loving God. First, love must be singular. There cannot be any other idols. I mean, any other gods. No gods whatsoever. Will you slip and fail? Yes, but that's, you'll come back to this in repentance because this is the law. You have to let our love be singular. Love must be spiritual. Don't you come up with this little idol and this thing and that thing and put it out there and say, well, I, I can't be happy without these. They help me and you help me a lot, God, but these... These are really important to me. He says, no, you can't have idols. You can't do that. And they're not just figurines and physical things, anything. It can't, it's got to be spiritual. And then he says in verse 7, love must be sincere. Don't you take my name and wear it in this group, and you, nobody would even know that you're married in this group. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's got to be sincere. And then the fourth one, love must be safeguarded. We need time to have intimacy together, to get to know each other better. Carved out special, big, important time. It's called the Lord's Day Sabbath as we knew it. Now the Lord's Day as it's now changed to the first day of the week. And so there it is. And then he goes through laws related to loving man. And you'll see those in the outline if you choose to look at them. Now, then we come to the, the, uh, the question uh, or not the question, but the reasons for the stipulations. Because now God wants to say, okay, here are my laws. Here's what we have to do to be married. And let me tell you why I gave them to you. And it's the same reason I've added this portion to this sermon, because you've got to know why he's given this, or you'll miss the whole picture. And this is what it says in Exodus 20, verse 20. He gives us two reasons. Number one, to test man's love. That was what my illustration was given to do. It's to show you, and then we can use it to test, do you really, really love us? So this is what it says in the text in the first part of the verse. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come to this wedding, marriage, in order, one, to test you. He's come in order to test you. What do you mean? Well, to find out, do you really love me? If you say, well, I want my idols, and I want my gods, and I don't want that. No, 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 no. And how many people today walk an aisle, maybe not physically, but in their mind, they come before God, and they say, God, I want to get married to you. I really want to get married to you. Yes, I'll marry you. Give me the vows. Oh, I got to pray this way. All right. And uh, good. And then we celebrate a new conversion. We talk about it. And three months later, nobody would know they're a Christian because they're not probably. 
They may well not have become a Christian by the very fact that you couldn't tell they were a Christian, that there was any difference at all. But they, they love the fact, I, oh, I'm married, I'm married, but I don't wear my ring everywhere. And God says, no, 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 no. There's stipulations, and no more than will he meet us at the aisle of faith any more than Carol would have met me at the aisle of marriage with those stipulations, where I don't even plan to keep the stipulations. But, you know, it's not just to test our love. The verse goes on to say it's also to enhance man's love. Look what it says at the end of the verse. At the end of verse 20, it says, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin, saying these laws are good for you to cause a love to increase, to get better. Now, this is how it's said in the New Testament. In Matthew 24, verse 12, it says, because of lawlessness, not keeping the law, violating those 10, your love, even if it's a true love, will grow cold. It'll expose that you don't have a love, and it'll take love that's there perhaps and real, but it begins to diminish. And how many Christians today, why in the world am I so feel so distant from God? Why can't I trust God? Why in this? Why in that? And we go, well, wait, 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 go back. Look at the laws you're violating as the people of God. And your love will grow cold for that very reason. Now, it ends with the next, which is the ceremony. Ceremony is in chapter 24. This is pretty cool. You see in verses 3 through 8, particularly verses 6 and 8, you see this covenant being made, the ceremony. And in that ceremony, the word blood is used, verse 6. And, verse 8, the blood of the covenant. You see, there's a holy God and an unholy people that are coming to marriage. God doesn't even let us marry non-Christians. He says you shouldn't do that. Well, he's not going to model it marrying those that aren't his. He says, I've got to make you holy. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, says, tells us in Leviticus. So there's going to be the shedding of blood here to show that someone has to pay the penalty. We're going to model it through animals just to tell the picture there's a lamb of God coming that will shed his blood on behalf of his people. So that's coming. Keep looking, keep looking, but you've got to be cleansed to marry a holy God. Then they've heard now all of the stipulations, all 10 of them. And by the way, the rest of all the laws in the Old Testament fit very well under one of those 10, every one of them. They're just kind of explaining more of the detail of those 10. But it's very interesting. They hear the law, and the people cry out to God in verse 7. Whatsoever the Lord says, you've told us, we'll do that. We want that. And the marriage covenant is made. Now, it's interesting. We come to the greatest we say of all the commissions of Jesus, which isn't certainly the greatest, but it's one of the great things that he told us to do and very, very, very important for our good and those that, that we love. And that is, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You go baptize them. But teach them too. This is the process of helping somebody come to faith. You go to them. You identify them with Jesus. He's who he claimed to be, but you got to go a step further. 
You've got to make them understand that they must do whatsoever God says. Teach them to observe whatever God says. He didn't say teach them all things. You'll never do that. But you can teach them to, they have to have a heart of submission to say, my intention is to observe all things. Why? He wants to test Christians. Do you, or test people. Are you really ready to become a Christian? And then when you become a Christian, he wants to know that you're going to keep going as a Christian. You'll observe what he commands. So that's the end of the first question of, of the five. Let's jump to the others, uh, certainly quicker, but uh, these will be faster. But why is the fourth commandment so, so important? I suggest two reasons. We've really talked about the first one. Because of our need for intimacy with God. Simple as that. Any marriage needs time alone. So he says, I'm going to give you a time that we spend alone. Now, here's what's interesting. As Christians, most of us are all over the idea, oh, I need to have devotions. I need to have devotions. I need to have devotions. Well, that's a, that's a, a, a quick charge, and that's good. I do it on a regular basis. I encourage those that I know and love and train spiritually. Do it. It's very important. But it's interesting. Find devotions in the Scripture. It's not like this is God's preset format. Good to do those. He tells us to pray and read. We do those things. But he does tell us there's one way you do it, and it's one day a week. Why does he do that? Because he knows, to use the illustration, a trickle charge will take an empty battery and do far, far, far more than giving it a quick charge, just to pop it up, pop it up, pop it up. That's good. But, man, you want the trickle charge. That is most important. So, there's a second reason, though, and this is all wrapped into the commandment, and it is so that we can meet the need for rest and perspective. Two very important words, without which life spins out of control. I mean, just it goes crazy. Uh, it, it's kind of like running a triple marathon and you've never trained. Oh, I can do that, and you take out the... You're not going to get through a triple marathon if you won't quit, your body will quit on you. Something will start happening to your brain, and it'll quit on you. Pretty soon, you not even die doing it. We're not designed to do the triple marathon without the training, but more importantly, oh, you got to rest if you've not trained. You've got to rest, you've got to rest, you've got to rest. So there's a, uh, an article that I alluded to uh, a few years ago, 2016 Time Magazine article. Uh, some of you heard, but it's called Anxiety, Depression, in the Modern Day Adolescent. Not a Christian periodical, as you know. Listen to what it said. Now, this is in 16. 30% of girls, 20% of boys experience anxiety disorders. 30% of all teens experience hopelessness for at least two consecutive weeks. In 2014, so go back a couple of years, 1.7 million teens had hit hashtag self-harm at least one time. One year later, it jumped from 1.7 to 2.4 million. Ironically, as I read that periodical, that, that, uh, that article, the words rest and perspective were coupled and put together there multiple times. Even the author knew that, there knew that, hey, you got to have rest. 
You've got to have perspective, and our kids don't have perspective. Our kids don't have rest. And therefore, look what's happening to them. The Sabbath is the Lord's plan for both. Let's go to number three question. Third question, what does it mean to rest on the Sabbath, and what does that have to do with finding perspective? Ben Patterson has written this very well. He says, Sunday is a window in this world that gives us a peek into the next. So let me just illustrate by, some of you remember this, the the story where imagine that we're in a room this big as this auditorium, our sanctuary, and in it happens to be nothing, nothing but maybe some some, uh, treadmills, and everybody's on their little treadmill. So I'm on my treadmill. Everybody's on their treadmill. And God says, hey, I want you to run, and I want you to run hard for this extended time of six days. And then on that sixth day, I want you to get off the treadmill. To do what? He says, to find perspective. How am I going to get that? He says, well, you see, this room you're in, it's, it's called life on earth. It's a kingdom. It's, a, it's the kingdom of this world. I created it, but it's the kingdom of the world. And all of your friends and your kids and their friends, and they're all into this world, and they see all the things they can do when they can get off that treadmill. And they like to rest but they get off whenever they want to get off, and they get whatever they want. And in that, in that room, there are for them all kind of things that they can get, and fame, and attractiveness, and, or popularity, and all the things that they, athletic prowess, whatever it is. And they're going for it, saying, this is going to make my life really good. I'm going to outrun everybody by getting these things. The faster you run, the more you can get of those things. But he says, but you that are Christians... You're to get off your treadmill. And you need to go over to this wall over here. And in that wall, I've seen it. Whoever's been on the treadmill has seen it. It's just a little ray of light. It's a small little window. It's like this building. No windows in this way. No windows. But instead of these big wall windows, nothing on one side. And there's one little small window. And he says, here's what I want you to do, Christian. Get off the treadmill because you need rest, physically, emotionally, mentally. But what you need most of all is to go all the way over to that window, stick your head up to it, and stare as long as you can. And you stare because what's out there is eternity. And you're going to see the banquet table there. And in that banquet table are love and joy and peace all kind of life-changing qualities, all kinds of gifts of protection and sovereignty and all the things that God wants to do. And he says, you go feast by seeing what's there and bring that reality back here and get back on that treadmill and get running again and do that every week. Go over and stare and stare and stare. You will be amazed what will happen if you just do that. Which takes us to question number four. Question number four reads this way. What should Christians do in order to stare out the window? Well, I don't know. There are a lot of things we can do, and some 
People stare differently than other people. Some people get off the treadmill a little differently and walk to the window a little differently. But whatever it is, I'm going to make a suggestion that it includes the past, present, and future. What do you mean? This is what I mean. Number one, spend time remembering the past. Now, we remember the past in two ways. The first one brings our text into play. The second one, a new text in Deuteronomy. Here is what it is. It says, first, you remember the past regarding God's work as creator. God's work as creator. You've got to know he is creator. So there's our text in Exodus 20 that I read at the beginning of the service, sermon. Now, we know this. It says, okay, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, seven days, da 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 not do any work. These people don't do any work. And you get down to verse 11. Can we go down to verse 11 if we've got it on here now? You get down to verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, blah, 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 rest on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Huh. Why do you do this? Well, to remember what? God created. What does that tell you about the Creator? If he made the heavens, the sea, the earth, and everything, oh my goodness, our God is powerful. He is unbelievably powerful. In fact, beyond any, there's nothing, no one that can, he is the powerful one. See, in Genesis 1, we read the creation account, and we read the creation, it says at the end, God rested, and what did he say? And he saw it was good. He said, it's really good. Well, I take walks on a regular basis. And they're prayer walks. They are walks that are just very important to the life of my soul. And I have a place on my normal walk that I go into a wooded area for, I don't know, a quarter of a mile or so and back. And in that wooded area, it's like I right then say, okay, Lord, now I get, a, I get the opportunity on the way I want to see your power. I want to see the beauty of your creation. So just show off to me. Just show me the trees. Show me the birds. Show me the animals. Show me, give me a few deer even. I've got some really good friends that are deer now in that little area. Where, but I love to see that. And I stare. You know what's got me kind of more than anybody, anything right now, not body, but it's the little squirrels. I've told you that I mean, how does a squirrel jump six feet up in the air and land on nothing, a limb? And I see that and I say, God, you are beyond all. Never let me doubt your power. And today, kids are not getting the truth about creation, the power of God. But man, oh man, we can see it. We are just absorb our mind and say, God, if you can do that, there's nothing you can't do. But there is something else to see, and that's God's work as our Redeemer. He's our Redeemer. So I don't want to way back on my, my walk. I want to understand this text. Listen to this. In Deuteronomy 5, if you were to read 12 through 14, it would repeat word for word what you find in Exodus 20 on the fourth commandment. But instead... Of that 11th verse in Exodus 20, doesn't say, 
for. This is the reason why. He doesn't go into creation. This is what he says in verse 15. It adds this verse. And you shall remember. Yeah, you remember creator. But you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and in the Lord brought you out of there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Do you know what this is for a quick look into it? This is saying, just remember you were redeemed. And Israel's the great illustration. You were a slave, you were captive, and you were redeemed by God's amazing, miraculous work. And that's the same thing. It's pointing to the work that God's doing in the hearts of people to this day. Our redemption is a redemption through Christ. It was through his death. That's the picture that's being foretold here. And in doing so, he says, remember, not only that God is your great creator, he's your redeemer. He's your redeemer. And so, what do you mean? Well, a picture of, my, of his redemption, if I don't know and understand his great love, you know what I'm going to forget? I'm going to forget and the perspective I'm going to have is all wrong about life. I'll be like kids that come into the world. Oh, got the nicest tennis shoes, man. I'm going to be the super one of the school. I'm going to be the most, I'm going to get, oh, this is too good. And you and I hear that as Christian parents just say, oh, you don't have to be a Christian for this. You say, kid, that, that $300 pair of shoes ain't going to do nothing for you. Nothing good. Okay, if you got them, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying this. Don't believe it's going to give you what you think it's going to give you that makes you want it so bad because you're going to lose perspective on life and you'll be like a little kid with the shoes. He says, don't do that. But, you know, you'll lose perspective on the Christian life and you'll think God's not fair. You'll start thinking a lot of things because you've never gone to the window to stare long enough and long enough and week after week after week till you build this composite of all this truth that just truth sets you free. That's what our master says. Truth sets you free. Where do we get the truth from the word? Where do we get the... You go to the window and you stare at the truth about God. And we lose perspective, by the way, on the Christian life in such a way that we start thinking that God is all about making us happy. And if I'm not happy, God may not exist. God doesn't do... He's not good or whatever. You go to that window, you stare long enough, and you see the work of the cross and his love in sending his son to die. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We read in Romans 8. Absolutely. We go, oh, my goodness. Look at the love of God. And we see that all the pain and suffering are gifts because it's a bigger picture. It's getting us ready for there, not here. God says, oh, you missed it because you're losing perspective. You think that God wants to make you happy, and he loves you to be happy, but not directly happy. He wants you to be holy and have as a benefit from that, regardless of consequences, I can be joyful or happy. He says, you don't have that perspective. You don't spend time staring out the window. You've got to do that. So there is the, the, the past there's the present, number two, the present. Gordon MacDonald, in Ordering Your Private World, he says this. This is a time to interpret our work, to press meaning into it, and to make sure we know to whom it is dedicated. Oh, man, 
You know, our problem is not disordered schedules. It's disordered lives. And this is a time you get to the window and you say, Lord, bring me perspective on my work, how much I'm working, how important I'm making it. Lord, let me bring perspective to my family, how I'm spending priority time or not. Bring perspective on the body you gave me, if I'm keeping it in good shape or not, if I'm doing for the right reason, for the wrong reason. It just brings perspective in to the very present. And then the third is the future, obviously. That's where we reimagine the future. By that, I love what Gordon McDonald says again. He says, it's a time to affirm our intentions to pursue a Christ-centered tomorrow. So I'm on that walk, coming back, I'm thinking about redemption, and I think, okay, full redemption is going to have me in heaven. How long is that going to be? I say, Lord, you won't tell me. I know. I know you won't tell me. And I'm really glad you don't, but am I going to die today, tomorrow? Is it going to be five years, ten years? How long am I going to live? I want to be really ready, ready, ready. I want to think about dying. Ask a Christian just recently, a neat Christian. I said, do you think much about dying? I mean, you're really old. You're older than me. <laughs> and, and he says, nah, not too much. Don't and I said, man, I try to think about it every day. Oh, so morbid. What do you know? Morbid? No, 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 no. I want the truth to saturate my mind. I want to know that the best is yet to come. God says that. Suffering our present world not worthy to be compared to the glory to be revealed. So why do I not want to think about it so that I'm going to be afraid when I die? Hello, news. You're not supposed to be afraid when you die. Oh, I'm not afraid of God. I'm not afraid of heaven. And I'm excited about what will be there. And you know what? I just get a little afraid of the total unknown when I step into the unknown. Even though I've been told it's good. I don't care if you tell me, and I believe it, that there is at the bottom of a bungee cord, about a mile down, there's safety, and there's going to be the treat of your life. And I know that bungee cord works. I've seen a 1,000 people go through it. You know, I still lean over and go, oop, I don't feel too good. <laughs> but the good news is, if we think about the death that we have here on earth leads to the life we have there, we believe enough of what that is, we get perspective. And that's what it's all about, perspective. Now, the last, I'm not going to go over. I'm just going to read it to you. The last is, what are some common indications that we are missing both the reality and blessing of keeping the Lord's day? And the answers, they're in your thing, but I'll just read them for those that may not look. When the Lord's day becomes more restrictive than liberating. Two, when the Lord's day is more exhausting than restful. And by the way, there are deeds of piety, mercy, deeds of necessity, that God says, Jesus made it very clear through his life, those are good. Even though they're tiring, they're good. Then number three, or um, uh, C, when missing corporate worship becomes routine rather than the exception. D, when ignoring your conscience regarding the use of the Lord's day for whatever reason. And lastly, when imposing your conscience on others who do not share your convictions. So let me close by, uh, by simply asking, Christian, would you, would you agree that our beliefs have to become convictions? We can't rest that we have the right beliefs. It takes convictions. And I won't tell the story again, but last time I gave this, I encouraged everybody, if you've never seen the movie, uh, um, uh, can't really think of it now, but with Eric Little about the Olympics, what's the name of it? 
Chariots of fire, chariots of fire. What a wonder thing to watch. I had the privilege. Here he, I mean, he died in a concentration camp, refused to run because the, the heat that he ran that was the world's fastest man in that area would have won a gold, and he eliminated himself from the day he found out that the heats were on Sunday. I'm not saying that's the conscience we should have. But I'll say this, there's a man who had more than beliefs. And I had the privilege 40 years ago maybe now, being a young speaker, Christian speaker, young pastor, rooming with a man I'd never met who was 50 years my senior, 40 years my senior, I don't know. But he was the roommate of Eric Little when they were in the concentration concentration camp in Japan. He died as they were roommates together. And I said, oh, he's one of my heroes of life. Tell me about him. And this is what I heard. Oh, a man of conviction. You young people, listen, you be people of conviction. I don't care if you're not as attractive I don't care if you're not as bright. I don't care if you don't have the money to have the things that everybody else thinks think are so important. You just walk into their midst and just claim this reality. You're a child of the king. You've got a different kingdom. And with that, I encourage you with all of your heart, you go after the truth and let it set you free. And you'll see them in bondage and you'll say, I can be a person that can free them of their bondage. And tell them how you found freedom. Make that your life's passion, your life's joy. I just invite you all, you struggle with me. It's a struggle for me to get to that window. It's a tr struggle every week for me to stare out that window. There are decisions I have to make that I will and won't do to get to that window. And sometimes I end the day and I say, God, forgive me. I didn't fight hard to get to the window. I didn't stare well. I, I didn't stare long enough. But oh, God. Get me to the window next week and throughout the day. Let me remember the power and the love. That's two. Power and the love. Redemption, yes. Creation, yes. Boy, when you start walking through life, kids, when you start walking through life, say, I've got a king that's powerful over any other king. I mean, loving more than any person's ever loved. And they're my father. Oh, my gosh. And remember, you're called to arrest. You've been laboring before you become a Christian seeker. You're laboring. You're just running. You're labor, labor, labor. And he says, rest. Rest in what I've done. Because when you come to me and really love me, let me tell you, my spirit dwells you. You take on the likeness. And I mean the likeness of my perfection, the likeness of my identity, everything. You take it on. And you don't have to work anymore. I've done the work for you. Rest. And then you hear him say, go work for the kingdom. But I'm not supposed, oh, no, no, no. You can work now because you're not working in order to find redemption. You're working because you've been redeemed. It's called loving obedience, and it'll be a joy to do so. My prayer, Christian, hang in there. Let's just go to the window. Let's fight to get there. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you first to silently pray. And find any place in your heart that needs surrender. Would you surrender? And just say, God, if you're a seeker, say, God, 
I don't need to know you better. I need just to know you. So you come in my heart. I want you. Let's bow. You pray privately just for one minute, please. Our Father in heaven, we've not spent enough time, but this is your day, and we'll try to go to the window and spend more time doing just this. But thank you for giving us the beauty of your law. Thank you for your love that's wrapped up in that description. That law has described you, and we thank you for your love that you would give it. And now, Lord, would you please take us, use us in a way we've never been used before because we become Sabbath keepers. And we pray in your name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.